Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and producer. Joining me this week, as always, are two sports writers who I would never call horseshit podcasters, Detroit Free Press beat writer Chris Solari and Lansing State Journal sports columnist Graham Couch. We are recording on a eh, sort of lovely, it's a little cold outside, but the sun is out uh, Thursday afternoon. And uh, Graham, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm uh, looking to take a break for the Twitter battles I'm getting in this afternoon. I'm glad <laughs> to be on this podcast with, uh, with friendly voices who prefer uh, capitalizing sentences on Twitter. <laughs> who prefer capitalizing proper nouns, among other yes. things. <laughs> Thank you. Chris, how are you? Uh, uh, what's a Twitter battle? <laughs> yeah. Also, also, if, if we're opening this podcast up to a uh, little salty language, boy, watch out, because this could be dangerous. Well... But I, I shall, I shall not breach that at the moment. Uh, I'm going to reserve it for, for that moment when I, I feel like Graham's takes have just gone way off the rails. <laughs> well, I think we will we'll give a one-time allowance to this one because it is, of course, a, a direct quote from, uh, or a paraphrase quote, I should say, from something Mel Tucker said about himself uh, during this week's press conferences. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't take too much. I think it's just he's just trying to deflect uh, responsibility, perhaps from from others, or at least deflect tremendously. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, tremendously, tremendously deflect uh, other things and putting the burden on himself, which is, but you know what, plenty of coaches do. So, so it is, it is what it is. But uh, you know, we're uh, we're more than a few days removed from that stunning. Not uh, I guess it's not stunning loss of Washington. Well, maybe stunning in the sense that all three of us uh, picked Michigan State to win. And at least one of us, okay, it was me, uh, said it was his, uh, the plus three and a half line was his favorite bet of the week and that the Spartans would win by double digit uh, points despite uh, completely ignoring Michael Penix's history against the Spartans, um, Mm -hmm. Michigan State's failures on the West Coast, Mm -hmm. um, you're out two defensive starters and Darius Snow Mm -hmm. and Xavier Henderson, you know, you just ignore all that and you're like, they'll figure out a way with the run game or something like that. And the run game is completely non-existent. And then just a uh, boy, a complete cavalcade of, of errors in that regard. But, uh, uh, well, let's just start with the game. That game in a little bit. Uh, it's, as I said, it's Thursday now, but, uh, Chris, what are you, uh, what are you still thinking about when it comes to that game? Well, I, I think Michael Penix is still throwing to open <laughs> receivers, yes. uh, right now. Um, I, I, by the way said, go, go on that over. On, on this game and it proved pretty right and prescient. Um, you know, I mean, you mentioned those, those two injuries going in, it didn't help Michigan state that Jaden Reed was out. It definitely didn't help that defense that Jacob Slade was out, helped it even less than Jeff Petrowski left the game in the first quarter and didn't return. And all of a sudden there's no pass rush whatsoever. I mean, Jacoby Winman got folded over and tossed down the field by bigger offensive linemen, uh, couldn't they, they got no sacks, uh, and that just left, 
I mean, you'd say that it left the defensive backs uh, in in coverage for long periods of time, but it wasn't just beating them over the top and in one-on-one matches. I mean, when they'd go zone, the holes in that zone were massive. I mean, 15 yards any direction. I mean, it was it was alarming in a lot of ways because you're looking at a lot of the same problems and same mistakes that Michigan State's defense made a year ago um, continuing. I mean, this is now the ninth time in 23 games under Mel Tucker they've given up 300 yards passing. I mean, that's unacceptable. You can see why Mel Tucker used that colorful phrase to describe how he is as a coach right now, particularly since he's coaching the cornerbacks as the position group. It wasn't just the cornerbacks. I mean, the safeties and nickelbacks were hot garbage too. Um, the linebackers were struggling again in coverage, which was another offseason uh, issue and adjustment. And then, as you mentioned, you couldn't run the ball. Um, you know, there were no sustained drives. All of a sudden, you give, you play, you have six plays in the first quarter, and now you're down, you know, three scores. So, I mean, it was everything that um, – the worst of what we saw of Michigan State last year, and and no Kenneth Walker to rescue them. Graham, once uh, I think once we learned that Jaden Reed was did not make the trip and was not going to be playing in the game, I think a lot more alarm bells, uh, you know, rang. Not including everything Chris just mentioned there. Yes, and I, I do think that hurt them to some degree because it there's a trickle down and they didn't start well and all that stuff. Um, I, I, you know, I think what was we, we have not seen in a while, like it's probably the Ohio State game, them and get sort of punched like that and look uh, just out of sorts. And, and they have Which in football terms, what, in a sense, wasn't that long ago. Right. That's that true. was only like five games ago, six games but, ago. But this also wasn't Ohio State. Right. And, and so I think to, to look that outclassed was a little surprising. Now, there are elements where they got in the second half, you know, in the, Last two and a half quarters, I thought the passing game looked pretty good. You know, Peyton Thorne played well. I thought it was even better on tape when I watched it back with Thorne. Um, but there, you left there, like, it was viewed as a game that was a real test. And you left there thinking, well, th- there are some real concerns here. Some of which, if they show up again this week, go from being concerns to, that's just a problem and they're in trouble. Because it, it, you know, if they can't run the football, then they're in trouble. If they can't get to the quarterback, if they can't get to Tanner Morgan, who and I don't believe this Minnesota passing attack is quite as as potent as what you know Washington had with, with Michael Penix. Um, but if they can't get that fixed, they're going to be fighting for bowl eligibility this year. Like this is the schedule's not if they don't win this week it's going to feel daunting like everything in front of them is going to feel daunting I, I think this week is that big a swing game and it's also the week where they have to sort of make the statement about what's real about them and what's not what was one week where things fell apart and that's not great but things happen on the road and whatever and they've got some issues that aren't perfect but the, they can work through them versus this is just a real problem and i think we'll we'll discover a lot more about them well, it's like we talked about in the post-game video. How much of this is a surprise? I mean, you this isn't Akron or Western Michigan. I mean, these are the same issues that were there, you know, in, in all of last season. I mean, I thought Kalen DeBoer used 
quite a lot of the same things that Aiden O'Connell and Jeff Brom and Purdue did when Michigan State was sitting at 8-0 to knock them off on the road. I mean, there were very similar approaches and just attacking, attacking, attacking. Sometimes just one guy, that guy being Chester Kimbrough, wherever he lined up, whoever lined up on him, attack him, and they did. And that, uh, that there was so much confusion in that back end. I mean, there were guys missing assignments, Angelo Gross chasing guys down from 50 yards out and looking back, yelling at guys on his, on his own team. I mean, but the, again, the secondary added one person. And really that one addition with Amir Speed gets negated when you take out Xavier Henderson from it. So it, 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 this isn't a surprise. I mean, seven guys last year threw for 300 yards and four of them threw for 400 or more. And the offensive line... You, you knew that, first of all, losing Kenneth Walker was a big deal because he had 1,600-plus yards and 1,100 of them were after contact. So that tells you where the offensive line was a year ago, and then you take away four of the most experienced players from it. I mean, it you know, you, that's going to – you know anytime you make those kind of changes, it's going to take time to adjust. Um, but this was – as you said, it's, it was alarming seeing offensive linemen getting pushed back two, three yards immediately on the snap. I mean, Jalen Berger had the safety. Some of it was on his footing. Some of it was on the offensive lineman coming back into him. I mean, it's, you know, and if you think that the offensive linemen from here out are going to be Akron-sized, I mean, we know they're not. I mean, it's a Big Ten football coming up, and if you aren't, like Jay Johnson said this week, if you aren't strong at the point of attack if you aren't able to generate in the run game which is their focal point if you can't do it then i don't know what you do i mean i mean you what's your thought i mean you know the second half they went i think it was about 60 percent past the run and it was out of necessity with the score but graham that seems like that's how this offense needs to move it's got to move past the setup the run i think yeah. And, and this would be interesting because you know, when you look at last week's Minnesota game against Colorado, even in a blowout loss, Colorado had some modest success running the football. And so this, I think, will be a telling week because I, you know, I don't, you know, I think they'll face uh, more staunch fronts than Minnesota's. But Minnesota is not—it's an experienced group. It, you know, this this isn't—I uh, mean, this this will be a little telling, good gauge, so to speak. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think, you know. I, that was the, to me, I mean, the, the secondary we thought could be an issue. But the thing about last week's performance in the secondary and defense is we'd, and, and we'd, you're right that we didn't trust it, Phil, but we'd seen it before with Penix and mm-hmm. Kalen DeVore offense. Yeah. And, 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 and they, they talked about it this week, even the MSU players, that it was like you think you're getting a pass rush for a moment. It's, it's the best offense in the world. And frankly, Indiana screwed up by not firing their coach and, and having DeBoer be their head coach. It, it is what they're able to do with it when you, you think you're you're going somewhere and it's like they knew you were coming and they're going to throw the ball right where you left. They have a counter to everything. And that that's it's just brilliant. And so as bad as MSU's offense or defense was, I want to see it against a normal human being, not um, you know a genius in Joe Montana. And that's basically what DeBoer and, and Penix have been against MSU at times. I don't think I, they need to. I don't think they will this week. I mean, Minnesota just is going to pound the ball. I mean, I don't care what, you know, I know that the, the defensive line has been a strength of MSU. I mean, 
but who knows where Jacob Slade is injury-wise. Um, you know, Simeon Barrow was in and out of that game after an arm injury late in the third quarter. He came back, but, you know, so did Jacob Slade two weeks ago um, to play through it and then couldn't make the trip. Um, so if you potentially have two of your defensive tackles out, um, that's a game changer. And if you, Jeff Petrowski's out, that's a game changer yeah. against a guy like Ibrahim who just pounds the ball. I mean, you want the stat of the week, Graham? You talk about Minnesota's defense. Minnesota's defense has the fewest plays per game this season. They've only been on the field for 47.3 plays a game. And that's not just in the, the bold division. I mean, that's through all of Division One. The close next closest is James Madison at 54 and a half. 47 plays a game tells you that Minnesota is running the ball, pounding the ball, eating clock. I mean, 39 minutes a game plus. Now, Ibrahim, I mean, Ibrahim, you know, 6.9 yards a carry. The, the problem yeah. is. The problem is they haven't played anybody, and and it's not really their fault. They scheduled Colorado. Colorado just wound up being one of the worst, maybe the worst team in the Power Five, and so you know if Michigan State, if the you know the roles have been reversed and Minnesota went out to Washington and Michigan State had played home against Colorado, you know the the vibes would be totally different, perhaps. So that's what we still don't. The problem with Minnesota is we still don't a hundred percent know what's real and what's not. Right. Whereas we see that we see the dents in, in Michigan State, and so to your previous point, like the like defensively, I, I'm very curious, but I don't look at last week as is necessarily like again we we thought it could be an issue, and there will be some passing attacks that will cause MSU some problems. I think Michigan, Ohio State, particularly, but they they also faced as good a passing attack as they may see all season last week. I do not. I think they faced as good a defensive front as they're going to see all season. And they really struggled to run the ball in their interior offensive line was not very good. Like that CJ, CJ Stroud begs to differ by the way. Well, and, and I'm not saying he's not more talented. I just, I, I think what Penix and DeBoer do is, is one of the more frustrating things to play against as a defense. Like I'm curious to see, you know, what Stanford is just an, you know, an average team. If that does against them this week and, and how they're able to to, to build on it, but um, it, it it look it's, it's I think it's is I think it's as good as it gets as a college offensive scheme with that quarterback. Um, and it's not that Ohio State won't have more prolific players, but if MSU loses badly to Ohio State, it'll be because Ohio State just has better athletes. I think I think scheme and quarterback have as much to do with it with Washington as, as anybody they'll face um, as they'll face all season. But the run game is one of those things that, as good as Michigan State's passing game is, and, and when they get, you know, when they have all their compliments, receivers and targets and everything, and Peyton Thorne at his best, they may they may pull off an upset or a comeback or do something because the passing game is good enough. But if they want to do anything meaningful this season, they've got to run the football at some at some level and i think we'll find out this week whether that's possible and i think they've got the running backs to do it if they can't do it it is an offensive line problem yeah that that's rush line from saturday's game 29 carries for 42 yards is uh boy that is absurd for 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 especially big 10 team you know who's known for rushing the ball so i mean you know and i think 21 of those credited yards went to thorn who actually had 50 rushing yards before the two sacks Mm mm-hmm so, I mean, you know, you're averaging, you know, sub two yards a carry with your two starting backs. 
and they're not producing in the passing game for you, uh, you know, that's that's that that's alarming to say the least. Yes, Jerick Broussard, uh, four carries for three yards. Jalen Berger, 13 carries for 27 yards. Not uh, not going to get it done. Uh, bef- before we move on here, I've got, I got a couple stats I want to uh, put out at you guys. Uh, before we move on from Penix, which which we will hear in a few seconds, I want to just go through his stat line against Michigan State. Uh, in three games, he has thrown for 1,003 yards and nine touchdowns and two interceptions. So if you extrapolate that over the course of a 12-game season, he would finish with 4,012 yards, 36 touchdowns, and interceptions. So uh, he's kind of had his way with uh, Michigan State in his career, as we've already kind of noted. And you know, you were talking about Minnesota's rushing attack. If there is any sort of silver lining or something to look to, not that Washington needed to run the ball that much, but they did only average 2.9 yards per carry on 36 attempts. So maybe if you're looking for something maybe that could play into Michigan State's hands, maybe that's something that, that could work. One of the things is, and I don't think this is Minnesota's fault the way it's Michigan or Ohio State's fault, right, and who they play. Well, not even Ohio State. Ohio State's a matter of too many home games. Michigan schedule obviously being awful and embarrassing. But the the problem with that, too, is you get four weeks into the year and you don't 100% know what you look at. You know their priorities. You know Ibrahim has been a great running back and he looks fully recovered from the Achilles tear. And so I, I trust that that is, is, is real. Um, but it was a fairly you know young offensive line coming into the year for Minnesota where that was a little bit of a question. And so I still want to see that group with him. Like, are, are, are they really good? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think we know yet. And that's that's the hard part. And, um, I mean, I, I think, you know, because you, you know, you could argue that they're the favorites in the Big Ten West right now. And yet, you know, they, they could also be much less than we think just based on who they play. I mean, I, I don't know if you could even – I don't even know if you need to say that that the, them being the favorites in the West has anything to do with that, seeing some of the teams that the rest of the West lost to. But yeah, but I think like Washington State, I don't think is a horrible team. Like you know what I mean? Like so there's like I don't that was a bad performance by Wisconsin too, but I don't know that Wisconsin won't get it to some degree and be a pretty good club. And Iowa obviously offensively has been pretty abysmal, but uh um yeah, no it, it this is this is gonna be a fascinating game and, and uh, I just think there's so much at stake for MSU. I really, I mean, I really, yeah. It, there's to me, this the year will will swing on this game. I, I really think. Yeah, Minnesota enters this game as a two and a half point favorite, and and based on you know, especially last week, and Michigan State really pretty things up with uh with two late touchdowns. And the same thing in the Western game too, with two, with two late touchdowns, kind of you know, put maybe look like it was a bigger blowout than it actually was. So. I don't know what we're going to see at home. We'll see if they rise to the occasion or if this two-and-a-half line in favor of the Gophers is, is justified. Well, I mean, Minnesota is a very experienced team. They've yeah. got 23 guys that are either in their fifth, sixth, or seventh year of college football. It's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of experience, and particularly when you look at Michigan State losing veteran guys, whether they're in or out with injuries. I mean, the guys behind them that are going to need to play aren't that experienced. And then you couple that with first year guys in, uh, from the transfer portal. Um, you know, that's, that's, uh, I mean, that's pretty, that's a pretty disparity, pretty big disparity. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times, particularly when you get to the big 10, the experience playing those games matters. Um, you know, I can think of some Michigan state teams that, 
you know, had more experienced guys and would, you know, may not had the the talent. I mean, look at what some of those teams did, like the the thirteen team against Ohio State. They were young at that point, and they pulled away and and won big. I mean, you know, particularly on the offensive side, and that you know they were young, but they were able to do it. But they had veterans on defense, and the veterans on defense won that game. So, I, you know, it's it, it is going to be an interesting because I, I mean I'm with you, Graham. I mean I don't know what to make of Minnesota. I know a little more to make of Michigan State. You know, it, it, honestly, this is in in many ways this is kind of week two. Um, you know, you need to show significant development from your first loss, um, particularly in those areas of concern that we've already touched on. And you know, I don't know how I, it, it's going to. Ha- it's up to the coaches right now if, if that top layer of of the depth chart is still as banged up as it was last week and looks going into this game. Yeah, speaking of that, what do we know about Jane Reed? Is he going to be available this weekend? We don't know, or I, I don't know at least. Um, you know, they, they've done a pretty good job of being coy about it. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I would have thought he would have played last week. So, I, you know, I, I, I think it's safe to say it wasn't just a cut on the back. Right. Right. I mean, you'd have made the trip if it was a cut on the back. And, yeah. you know, we talked about that last week. I mean, when he took that fall on that hip, making that catch, that's where he was grabbing. And that was the same hip that he hurt that knocked him out of the Akron game. Um, or I think, excuse me, maybe it was the Western game um, when he, he landed hard on it and then they took him out of punt returns. I mean, he's had some significant injuries all, already. And, you know, as as his teammates mentioned, he was in and out with injuries during camp. So, you know, that, I mean, that to me is, is you got to, I mean, and that, it's the same point. You know, I think Keon Coleman and Trey Mosley last week uh, showed that they, they've got guys that still can make good plays. Same with Daniel Barker. And I think kind of the sneaky play is Montori Foster coming back. I mean, people forget that he was the starter at the end of last year. And, yeah. you know, when Naylor was out. Um, so if he gets healthier and gets in a rhythm, you know, we haven't seen a lot of use of Jeremy Bernard a- in this offense yet. By the way, Montori Foster is Chris Solari's new Tyler Hunt. Kind of. He kind of is. He's he's, he's a sneaky guy that, you know, he's he, you know, he played and made catches. And, you know, people forget that, that he was the number three receiver a year ago, not Keon Coleman. But Keon Coleman is above him, even if he comes back. I mean, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But, I mean, but, but I will say this, and we can put money on this. 80% of the questions this year about Montori Foster will be from Chris Solari. I guarantee you. That's that's low. I'd take the over. Yeah, I would take the over, too. I'll, so I, hey, you I'll know take who else wasn't too. in uniform out in that trip was Evan Morris, and I'm the one who asks the Evan Morris yeah, questions. Yeah, you did. So. Yeah, it's a, just like Tyler Hunt early years, it, it, it was uh, it was go, almost like cold chewing stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of speaking of Evan Morris, I remember my freshman year when uh, I was actually w- working the game, and he randomly did kickoffs for that one game. And then I asked to talk to him at the game, and everyone was like, and completely incredulous that this is the guy you're asking for. But uh, that's what happens when a, when your local kid uh, makes a surprise appearance in a college football game, I guess. But, Ovid Elsie, uh, man, that's right, that's right. And, and way, my, my one of my uh, good friends' kids is the quarterback now at Ovid Elsie. Just random facts that didn't need to be in this podcast, but I thought I'd ask. So. <laughs> it's very funny. And, and the Montari Foster love comes on after a game where Hunt uh, had four targets and caught all four of those for, for 
for 14 whopping yards. So, you know, uh. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Coleman once again. I mean, obviously without Jane Reed, he was going to have an even bigger, you know, part of the offense. 15, 15 targets in this game, another team high. So, you know, important note though, important note. And it was given away as much. So, so the, the thorn Keon Coleman chemistry, which really seemed to come together in this game was mm-hmm. important. And because the, when you listen to Peyton Thorne, and, and I asked, and I forget how I phrased it, but I was trying to get to the their chemistry, but also, and, and Thorne basically acknowledged, like it, it really makes me think a lot of his missed throws the week before when five of those targets were to Keon Coleman, were Keon Coleman being a step or two out of the place he was supposed to be. And I, I just, I mean, Thorne is not going to say that, but in how he phrased it, like you can just tell that those guys weren't quite on the same page. And I'm going to go with the less experienced receiver, have not being in the right place over the quarterback a little bit. And last week, I think that turned around. Like, like Jaden Reed being out, while Jaden Reed is is a really important part of the team, he's also in a position where I think they have good talent and depth. And I think his absence is less important this week than it was next last week. I think they've got the goods there to be fine. Um, you know, I mean, to me, he may be better than Xavier Henderson, for example, but given where they are in their secondary, you'd rather have Henderson right now. You know, I mean, that sort of thing. Follow me on this a little bit. Okay. Cause this is going to kind of, this is kind of like if, if you got, you know, the, the, the gif from, uh, from uh it's always sunny you know with the board and the the strands um this Pe- is going to be Pe- kind of Pe- there Pepe Sylvia. <laughs> um you you watched I, I think a lot of what you saw in that chemistry with thorn and coleman at washington a lot of it was scramble mode scramble drills you know the stuff that they work on in practice with a play breaks down sprint out follow your quarterback i mean the, the one touchdown thorn said that you know the, the play was designed for coleman to be in the opposite corner of the end zone he saw him thorn getting flushed redirected his route and gets free in a, in a soft spot and catches a touchdown a lot of what we saw in some of the stuff that michigan state was showing uh you know, during camp, because we didn't see the live stuff and, you know, the scrimmages, you know, a lot of those plays, you just watch them and they, they look like scramble drills, you know, like Thorne co- sprinting right and Coleman coming back across the formation and, and across the field and making a play and, and getting free from a defensive back. That tells me, and coupled with Peyton Thorne talking about Jacoby Windman and how disruptive he was during camp for them uh, on the offensive side tells me that there was a lot of breakdowns maybe on that offensive line that caused Peyton Thorne to develop that chemistry on the move with Keon Coleman. Um, That said, you know, if that's a go-to part of your offense, if you saw what the second half was in terms of, you know, going more three, four wide, you got to, you got to explore it. I I think that Jay Johnson has to explore it. I, I think you have to, Think you've got depth at receiver. You've got a guy like Barker and, and Malik Carr who can spread out from the tight end spot. Um, you say you've got running backs who can make plays out of the backfield in the passing game. I think you got to look at it. I mean, you know, maximize what your best talents are at this point to chase a Big Ten title. Um, if it works, it works. Um, you know, and you know, maybe that even softens up the run uh, so Berger and Broussard can 
and, and that offensive line can finally find some traction. But I think you got to start it, you know, by by using your best weapons on offense. So, so which area do you think are you guys concerned about the most for Michigan State? The offensive line or the defensive secondary? Yeah, it's a good question because I mean the, the secondary we we've seen them struggle and that could be a huge problem this year. But if you know, I'll go back to what Xavier Henderson said at the beginning of the year. This team will go as, and he's a defensive player. This team will go as far as the offensive line takes us, and that's a pretty blunt statement. And I think it is a, you know, if Michigan State's going to have, I think we know Michigan State's going to have some limitations in the defensive secondary. We know they may be an okay pass rush against certain opponents, but not always. I mean, Jacoby Winman, you know, look, he was incredible the first two weeks, but he was not on NFL draft boards coming into the season. It's not like he's a new college football player, right? So it, it, this isn't Lawrence Taylor either. And, you know, I, I, so that was always a possibility. And so was the offensive line, frankly. But if they're going to have to be a team that wins with offensive firepower, with keeping controlling the clock and keeping their own defense off the field. To do that, they need that offensive line to not only protect Thorne, which I didn't think they did all that well, uh, but also uh, you know get some sort of punch up front. And uh, so I think to me it's the offensive line in terms of this team because – uh, you know, as Chris brought out, when you actually look at the personnel, it's not all that different. I don't, you know, they added a mere speed. They're, you know, for a while they were healthier than they were last year. They're not really anymore. It's different injuries. But so I would say the offensive line. I'd, I'd go the other direction because the book, you got a lot of tape out there on the, the secondary. I mean, it, it'll just continue. I mean, you got the next few weeks, you got Morgan this week, but then you got uh, Tagovailoa. You got Stroud, Wisconsin. I mean, yeah, Wisconsin. But then you got Michigan with their quarterbacks. I mean, it's the next couple weeks, you know, it, it, yeah, you have to be able to run the ball. Yeah, you have to be able to get pressure. But if you can't stop the pass, um, you know, they, those those teams put up numbers last year, and they're going to do it again this year. I can't believe that Tanner Morgan is still there. That was a, <laughs> a, a, a stunning turn of events. But so uh, I believe either Saturday or Monday, I can't remember which, you know, Coach uh, Tucker said that he, you know, expected kind of an overhaul in the secondary. So, Chris, who do you think will be back at, back there for the Spartans when they play the Gophers Saturday? Well, I mean, it's, it's an interesting question. I mean, you obviously – we talked a little bit about the Chester Kimbrough benching. Um you know, it's not like there are tons of bodies. I mean, unless you go young. I mean, the two guys who made the trip in Caleb Coley and Ade Willie are guys that I've heard people talking about and, and you know, their teammates have talked about guys that have kind of popped and shown a little bit as true freshmen. Um, you know, I, I believe both of them were early enrollees as well. So, I mean, they don't make that trip if they don't think they can play. And, you know, if they're at this point where, you know, the proven guys – by and by proven, I mean guys who have shown who they are and what they are uh, can't produce. I think maybe those two guys could, you know, whether it be a nickelback or cornerback, end up in there and potentially maybe even a Jaden Mangum again. I mean, he struggled a little bit in the opener uh, after the Henderson injury, uh, and that's how Kendall Brooks kind of kind of emerged as the other starter. By the way, 
let, let they ended that game against Michael Penix and in and was Washington last week with two Division two transfers out of the back four, back five with Kendall Brooks and Justin White. I mean, you're not going to win a lot of Power Five games like that. I don't care how good of a Division two player it is and what exactly they can do. Um, it, it's Power Five football, and those guys were Division two players for a reason. They weren't brought in to be starters at Michigan State. They were brought in to help with special teams. All right, Graham. Uh, what anything else stick stick out to you? Whether it's uh, talking about the Huskies game or Minnesota this weekend. What will be interesting to me a little bit in the crowd, like I, I thought it was good for Peyton Thorne to get away after the previous week and have a game where he played well away. And in doing that, he returns with people, you know, feeling a little bit better about themselves. And uh, I think the whole atmosphere around him, it, it, that's not where people's concerns are anymore, right? That changed pretty quickly. I am curious to see if there are troubles in the secondary, troubles defensively, if Minnesota is able to pick them apart or hold the ball or have long drives or score. If things start to go wrong, does it become you know, a surly Spartan stadium? Do you feel the tension and the murmurs? Does Because that can affect the team too. And sort of, I, I'm very curious to see what the atmosphere is there um, if, if things aren't perfect. I kind of agree with you too. I mean, in part because, you know, there were so many Michigan State people that made that trip to Washington. And I'd, I'd say, would you say maybe like 30% of the stadium? You know, somewhere in that and range, 25 enough, enough that when Michigan State did something well, and they didn't have a whole lot of reasons to cheer, so it took a while to realize this. But when things went well, like after that goal line stand by MSU, yeah. early on, when there was that brief flash of hope, like – the, it felt like MSU was home for a minute. Listening yeah, to it, so it, it was. But I think there was there those. They also left that game pretty frustrated. Yeah, uh, maybe it was because people spent a lot of money on the trip, and maybe it's because the the dream or the hype of competing for a national title was pretty well knocked out of it. Um, but there was a letdown, uh, and I think there was a letdown across the fan base. You know. The, the only way I think you can kind of do that is have an emphatic performance uh, this week and 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 get a a strong victory and kind of show that you're turning the corner and correcting some of those issues, um, you know, right or wrong. And, and I don't I, I don't like this argument. I think it's uh, uh, I, I think it's a, a weak argument if you're going to make it. But fans are because of Tucker's contract are bringing up Tucker's contract and needing to win now. I don't like that argument whatsoever. I don't know about you, but well, no, and so but I do think that the the bigger issue isn't the contract. It's that it's a defensive coach continuing now 23 games into his career, battling the same defensive problems in the defensive secondary that is his specialty. I think that's the more alarming thing, any amount of dollars or years on a contract. Yeah, and, and, and I think – so there are two things. I may write about this at a certain point because I do think that there is there is the price of getting paid, so to speak, right? And like I think, you know, while th there is the underlying understanding that what he's being paid to do is recruit and coach talent that, of guys who aren't even, frankly, on, a lot of which aren't even on campus yet, right? And but then you've got, a lot of them aren't even juniors in high school yet, right? And so then you've got a couple years before. I mean, you really before you're judging on those terms. To me, it's 2025, probably. 
um, 24 at the very, very earliest. Um, but you are also, and I think this is something that added to his contract and added to people wanting him last year. It wasn't just the promising recruiting. There was a very high level of competence in everything they did last year. And that is something that I think is fair to expect. It's when you're paying a coach nine and a half million and the, and he's a defensive minded coach and the opposing offensive coach uh, looks like a savant and your defense does not look like it's coached by somebody who's got it completely together. That is a level of competence that is fair to ask for from a nine and a half million dollar coach right now. You know what I mean? And that, and, and, and so I think, the, the, there are those two components. I do think you're right, though, that there is sort of an unrealistic, um, you know, there, there's this sense, okay, nine and a half million, you compete for national titles. The transfer portal helps certain things. It helps fill holes. It does not change the timeline to compete with Ohio State. Uh, but the other thing is Washington is in year one of its rebuild. And this wasn't Ohio State. I think if it was Ohio State where things went really wrong, there is an understanding of that's where you're trying to get to. You're but, but I'll say this, though. Washington had better recruiting classes in the lead-up than the end of the Mark D'Antonio era. And the totally. you count that first Tucker class that, that he took over on Zoom. That, that, is, that is 100% fair, too. I think there's a lot. I, I, think, I think there's just a general – the team didn't look um, composed – or uh, like they had any sort of answer, and it didn't look like the staff had much of an answer, and that's just fair or not. When you're making that kind of money, um, you know, I mean, when you, I mean, I know Izzo's contract's being redone, but when you're when you're making double what the man who's taking the school to eight Final Fours is making, there's a level of competence that people are going to expect, and sometimes it might be more than fair. But that's just what goes with it, you know. I mean, I, and, I, and I think, you know, I, I mean, I, I really do think that's a. Um, it's going to be an interesting element. It's going to be an interesting dynamic to follow in the in the in the, in the coming years. Uh, is, because what, what what they essentially paid for was the dream. You didn't pay for results. Now you paid for a chance not to have what happened with Saban happen. A chance to see where this goes. And I think most people understand that, but in the heat of the battle, uh, if you're not, if you don't have competence, people are going to get frustrated. Well, I think you also over the course of the last, however many games now, uh, also kind of understand first why when Tucker got here, he was so dramatically concerned with the talent pool in his secondary room and how much turnover there was. And secondly, how the transfer portal really isn't you're you're not getting all Kenneth Walkers in the transfer portal. You're getting guys that couldn't handle what they were doing at their previous program or get on the field or maybe were battling injuries or moved on to some other if if a guy was having success at a place that he just was, barring a coaching change, odds are that guy would have stayed there for his fifth and sixth and sometimes seventh year as you're seeing in Minnesota. Right. Or, or- yeah, or you've got a situation where, you know, they're moving up from UNLV to Michigan State, you know, or they're, you know, there's just right. something. And, and, you know, often players are, are somewhere. And, and to Tucker's credit, he's talked about that, yeah. uh, you know, from 2020 on, that the portal is is 
almost just kind of a stopgap and depth builder. I mean, you weren't bringing in Justin White and Kendall Brooks to be your starters in the secondary. You were, you were bringing in depth guys who could contribute potentially on special teams because of one element or another. I mean, it's an NFL approach, you know, how guys end up on special teams. And the only the way NFL. it would be more than that is if, if the school and, 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 you know, the Tucker, the collective, the donors decide to recruit with NIL in a major, major way, uh, which I don't see MSU, MSU doing. So, yeah, no, I, I that, that part of things, I, yeah, I do think people have to be, uh, have to be somewhat yeah. patient. Well, that, well, that said, you know, the thing, and I, and I know that like the, the name we have not brought up yet on this podcast uh, is Scotty Hazleton. And you're right. Is where the and that is a, that is the, and quite honestly, you know, I'm, you know, a head coach making what he's making. That's to me, neither one or the other, but when you got coordinators north of a million and they're continuing to have the same issues, that is a very big concern. Yeah, no. And, and people's, you know, and I understand he said it wasn't scheme this week. And I'm sure that if you play that scheme properly and perfectly, and you have the athletes to do it, that it, it works. I'm not saying, suggesting it doesn't, but when, it, when you don't, you, you have to put your guys in the best chance to succeed. You have to have something else to go to. And I'm not saying they didn't try to some degree. And I'm not saying there aren't limitations. And I'm not somebody who believes one game's a train wreck and you should, you know, get rid of a, um, get rid of a coordinator. Um, but, but it, 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 it's coordinators do matter. And one of the, you know, things I, by the way, when I, I worked in Kalamazoo and covered Western Michigan. Um, oh, drink, drink, yeah. drink. Um, so PJ Fleck, uh, drink. But one of the things that I was one of the advantages of doing something like that, where the, everything is open, right? Practices are open, everything's accessible. One of the advantages of that was, they, and they went through one, two, three, four. I think five, they had five different defensive coordinators in the in six seasons or something like that, and you'd see the reasons they worked, the reasons they didn't. You know, couple one left. Another got fired. One, two left. One got fired. One left for a bigger job. Like the, the, and it wasn't like they weren't like one of the guys who came in and it didn't work with was a guy who was a good coordinator at MSU, and I think the final year Saban was there. Uh, Bill Miller, yeah, good, good defensive coordinator, but he came in with this system that was difficult for those guys to learn, and didn't work with the guys they had that well. And that team had like Lewis Delmas and other uh, a lot of players who were good players and they, they weren't very effective. And then he left and like he was a good coordinator, but didn't work with them. What I'm saying is sometimes what you run as a defensive coordinator, isn't what's best for the group that's there. And I'm not saying it, it can't work with what Hazelton has, but there's not a lot of evidence so far that it does. Well, there are three defensive coordinators on that staff um, with Hazleton, Harlan Barnett previously having that experience, and Mel Tucker previously having that experience. And when they first took over, Mike Tressel was here, so four defensive coordinators who had been there. Um, and they were they talked about blending ideas to to build what they had. And, you know, 23 games in, you know, it's it's suspect. I mean – there, there has not been – has there been one performance where you say this is a dominating old-time Michigan State defense? Maybe the – I mean, I don't know. I mean, 
I, I can't think of one that really stands out in the last three years. Of course, it's been a pandemic blur too. Um, but I mean, you know, they're giving up points. They're giving up a lot of yards and particularly in, through the air. Well, what about the first Michigan game in 2020? The one that was, I think Milton started that game for Michigan. Wasn't that like something to seven? I could be way wrong. Like you, Chris. That was 27-24. Oh, wow. That was, I'm way off on that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, that came, I mean, they, that came right after they gave up 38 to Rutgers. Right, right. You know, and four, been, before they gave 49 to Iowa. I had not forgotten about the Rutgers Iowa <laughs> Iowa combination there. <laughs> I mean, you could you didn't say that the shutout against Akron, but are you really going to hang your hat on that? Well, they might they might have to, to be honest. Yeah. All right, I think we I think we've laid some pretty good groundwork here, guys, for Saturday's game. Now let's get to what you think is going to happen on Saturday. Graham, I'm going to start with you. So I'm picking Michigan State to win, and 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 it. it Sometimes you have to forget what you just saw and, you know, and not get, not overreact to it and not be too enamored with a Minnesota team that hasn't played anybody yet. I, I think that the line is, is too high. The, 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 now it's not, look, Michigan State could wind up being awful and get trucked, but the way I see this right now is the line is too high. I mean, when you're talking about a three point favorite at home or on the road, that would be six and a half, seven if it were at, at Minnesota. So um, at least, what am I doing that right? Now, a neutral site would be yeah, even th- uh, six and a half, seven. So like it would be like nine or ten at Minnesota if that was done right. Anyway, the um, I, I just don't I don't see it. I know Minnesota's uh, you know strength is running the football. I think Michigan State will do okay there. I. I know Tanner Morgan's got the coordinator that he was good with when he had two NFL receivers in 2019, but he's lost his top guy now, and and I don't know that they're built to hurt Michigan State the same way. I think MSU will be really focused to play a good game. I think their offense will, and I, I think they'll win like you know 30 to 27 in a really good game. But I I think MSU bounces back here. And I'm kind of going the other way from you on that, and I've actually I got. Minnesota winning 31 to seven, um, or excuse, excuse me, 31, thir- I misspoke 31 to 27. Oh, no, keep that um, 31 to seven. Let's go. 31 to 27. <laughs> I, I'm looking hey, man, you, you could have been right. You remember that Wisconsin year that the uh, 2016 was Michigan State was like a seven point favorite against Wisconsin <laughs> and lost 30 to six stuff happens, you know? Yeah, no, no. 31 to 27. Cause I do think that Thorne is going to be able to put up yards through the air. Um, I don't know how much they're going to be able to run the ball. Um, and I think that they do make the decent adjustments there, but I, I, you know, particularly not knowing what the middle of that defensive line is going to look like or who's available on the edge. I mean, I, I think it's just a game for, for Minnesota to kind of establish themselves in the, the trenches on offense, grind it, keep the defense off the field as much as possible. I mean, you know, you know, it, it, it seems like it could have maybe the feel of that Nebraska game last year where it comes down late and, you know, where's Jaden Reed? Is Jaden Reed available to run, turn a punt if you need him to? I mean, can he make that play? I don't know because, I mean, you know, the injuries that Michigan State has, you know, Coach Peak says next man up, you know, no excuse, but those guys would be starting if if it was legitimately – 
next man up, right? Or, or playing a lot more than they would without the injuries. So, I mean, I, I just think Michigan State's kind of in a rough spot, you know, from a health standpoint and just from the fact that Minnesota does a lot of things that they can actually run the ball to set up the pass, which I'm not, you know, we still haven't seen that Michigan State can do that. I am picking Minnesota to win mostly because the Spartans scarred me uh, last week after my bold proclamation. So uh, give me the Gophers 28 to 24. So, all right. Any final thoughts before we sign off here this week? No, I, again, I just think it's a really critical game that will um, sort of set the tone for, not just set the tone, but I think determine a lot of where the season goes. Yeah, I think it's going to be a swing week podcast next week for us, Ooh. without doubt. Talking I mean, basketball. I mean, <laughs> yeah, quite honestly, it's you know we could be talking basketball soon if this if the trends continue and if the problems persist that we've seen now for for you know the last game on the offensive side, but for you know the last thirteen games on the defensive side. Yep. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Chris Solari, at Graham underscore couch, at Phil underscore friend, and at LSJ Greenwhite. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.